And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned in the announcements, this is is my first full Sunday back, my first sermon here at St. John's in almost two months, and so I I sat down and I I opened up my Bible and I looked at where we were going to be this week and and what was planned for this Sunday before I left. And I looked at this passage and I thought, what a great place to jump back in. The love chapter. (laughs) Like, you can't mess this one up. How many of us are already thinking about a wedding? Show of hands. Like, that's where we hear this passage more often than anywhere else. Um, But it isn't random. 1 Corinthians 13 is just happens to be where Pastor Don left off last Sunday in our fall series that we are calling Messy Grace as we continue through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, and that is the context for these words. And and I'm going to spend the the first third of our time together this morning uh, sharing that original context because it isn't the typical romantic context that we often hear these words spoken into. But we use these words at weddings because they're beautiful. They're actually some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. They're somehow uniquely capable of capturing our hearts and our imaginations. Even 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, translated from their original languages. And I think the reason why is because it really comes down to what the chapter is about, and that's love. It's about love. We, We have an obsession with love, longing to understand love, to know what it is, to be able to experience it. It seems to be this universal human desire. And so I went just a couple days ago on Facebook, and um, if, you, if you follow me there, if we're connected, you saw this. I asked people, could you give me one word to define love? If you could just define love with one word, what would it be? And I want you to think about that for yourself. What would that one word be? And we got like 75, 80 different responses, and so I put it into this, this, this word cloud here. Of course, God is prominent. That was the most common answer. 
Um, but you had all sorts of different answers, tons of them, dozens of different trust and patience, garden, um, peace, dogs, which is Pammy back there. I think that's where she came, she came in. Um, elusive. Uh, it was Someone said that was their definition. I thought that was interesting, reflective of where they're at right now. Unconditional, passion, grace, mom, so many different words. And I think if I asked all of you to share your words, you'd probably add twice as many to that list. And so then I thought about music. Because how many songs sing about love, right? And, and I found by one estimate over 100 million songs about love have been recorded since the beginning of recorded music. And so if you took all of those songs away, and then you took all of the songs about God and religion away, because those are usually about the love of God, you would be hard-pressed to find anything else to sing, right? There'd be no songs left to play on the radio. And so as I, as I mentioned before, um, that's why this passage is so important, because with all of this material about love, we've got words and songs, we still don't have it down. Every year there's a new song written about love. We still keep trying to capture with words and art and music what seems to always be just beyond our capacity to describe, which is why this passage in particular is so important as we begin to maybe better understand something that no song and no art and no other words can help us grasp. And so as I mentioned before, we, we find ourselves, we're at the end, toward the end of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And last week, Pastor Don shared chapter 12 and a message of Paul's description of the church, the body of Christ, and how the body of Christ is this body of unique believers that she used this, this great analogy. I've been thinking about it all week. She said, we're all like Legos, and if you didn't get that message, go back on, like, listen to the whole thing. But, but, but she said, you know, this is kind of what Paul's talking about. We're all branded by our creator, and we all have different places in the greater design that God has designed for his church. That each one of us is a different shape and size and color, but we all have a place. And the unique place that we find ourselves in, in part, can be found in the spiritual gifts that we've been given. Uh, gifts like teaching or sharing wisdom or healing or helping. And, and there was this cultural problem that was taking place within the church at this time. And you'll see it in chapter 12 and you'll see it in chapter 14. So the two places on the both ends of the love chapter. And the problem was that people were using their gifts or striving for their gifts or showing everybody else their gifts and saying, look at my gift, I'm better than you. They were making themselves look better because of the gifts that they had been given. And so Paul basically says, stop it. We're all Legos. And every single piece matters. We're like a body. And each of every, and every one of us has a different part. Your, your toes might not seem as important as the other parts of your body. But has anybody here ever broken a toe? Show of hands. I broke my toe when I was in college. And I couldn't walk to class. <laughs> And I thought to myself, I broke my one toe and I couldn't use my brain to learn because I broke my toe. Somebody at the last service was telling me they had a loved one who broke three of their toes. They actually lost three of their toes. And over the course of their life, they ended up having back problems and all sorts of different issues, all because they lost their toes. 
Every single part is important, Paul says. But then at the same time, at the end of chapter 12, he recognizes that there's also some gifts that are worth striving for, like, like prophetic words when life seems confusing. It's, it's something we long to find as somebody who has a gift to be able to make sense of the world and where God is leading it. Or, or maybe the gift of healing. If you know somebody who's sick, or is suffering, you would strive to be given the gift of healing that you might be able to bring relief to that person. And Paul says that makes sense. But that's not why these people were striving for and prideful in their gifts. The reason why was because they were saying, my gift is better than your gift, I'm better than you, or I want that gift so that somehow it's going to make me better. And to correct this, Paul has three things that he wants to teach us and that he wanted to teach them. And the first one was this, spiritual gifts come from God, not from ourselves. Spiritual gifts come from God, not from ourselves. We don't have control, full control over the gifts that God has given us, which is really important because if you believe that, you can't boast in those gifts, right? Because at the end of the day, they're not coming from you. They are a gift, which by nature means they have come from somewhere else. Now, that doesn't mean you can't strive towards certain gifts. It doesn't mean that you might not even be able to work toward developing certain skill sets, but there are limits. There are limits. If, if you, if you want to know what my limits are, ask my wife what I am capable of doing in the kitchen, making a mess, <laughs> right? Right, my gift of teaching, right? Maybe that's one of my gifts. It's the Lego piece that I have that I fit within here in the church. But if I told Mitchell, who's playing piano this morning and did just a wonderful job, didn't he? And and just wonderful to have his gifts. You can clap for him and his gift. If next week I told Mitchell I'm gonna play piano, <laughs> some of you are laughing because you can imagine what those gifts are. Now, can I push myself to learn? Could I take lessons? Absolutely. I would even say, I don't want to sound prideful, but I could probably master Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star in a couple of weeks. I'll bet I could do it. I will never be as good as Mitchell. I will never be as good as Mitchell. I will never, my, my boys have a musical ability that I don't have. My wife has a musical ability that I don't have. Those are gifts and abilities that, that I don't have and that will never be my gift. Now, there is a difference between spiritual gifts and abilities, but the point is still the same. We don't have full control over all of those things, do we? You know, some of us were born with athletic abilities. Some of us were born with a mind to be able to understand math. Some of us were, I was just talking to the Christmans about their son who's at UW-Whitewater, and he's, uh, part of what he does is he's a commentator for their sports, and he can rattle off all these different statistics that he studied the day before, and I would never be able to do that ever, but that's his gift. And, and that's the, the thing that we're learning here is that we don't have full control over these things. We can desire them, we can cultivate them, and we can steward them, but ultimately it comes from somewhere else. And so that's the context. But what does this have to do with love? (laughs) Well, the second thing that we learn is that while you can't choose your gifts, you can choose to love. While you can't choose your gifts, you can choose to love. And then beyond that, Paul makes a very clear point to say that without love, it doesn't matter what your gifts are. Look at this again, verse 31. He says, I will show you the most excellent way, which is coming out of the chapter that is reminding them of the proper place of their gifts. He says, let me show you the most excellent way in which to live out your gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, that is a gift, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, those are gifts. But I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give my body over to hardship so that I can boast, look at me, look at what I'm doing for everybody else, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is not saying that love is another spiritual gift or ability on the list. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that love transcends all of the gifts and all of the abilities and all of the qualities and all of the attributes and nothing you are capable of doing matters if you don't have love. And so to make it real practical, think about this. Think about marriage. If you could custom design the perfect spouse, just think for a minute. If you could custom design the perfect spouse, what attributes would you include? And some of you are looking at your spouse right now. Don't talk out. I don't want to start any fights, okay? Just keep it in your head. I know I'm getting a little nervous, by the way, some of you are looking at each other. Here's, here's, here's what I did. Online, I found this tool, okay? Um, I, I was able to put all of my answers to that question in, and it will spit out an image of the perfect partner for you. You want to see mine? <laughs> Those of you who aren't laughing, that is my wife, and I asked her permission to show you that picture. She's a pastor's kid. She kind of gets this. But seriously, okay, I don't, want you, I don't want you to share this list with anybody, but just think for a minute. You know, maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for your kids or your grandkids. As you think about the ideal partner for them in life, what would the qualities be? And I, I went online and actually found a, a study where they asked over a thousand different people that question, and they boiled all of their answers down to the 11 top answers to that question. And so the next slide will show those to you. Most desirable traits in a romantic partner Committed to me, well-off, physical attraction, makes compromises, faithful and trustworthy, good cook, housekeeper, positive, fun to be with, does well with friends and family, romantic and sensitive, and common interests. Those are the things. They asked like 1,200 people to answer the question I just asked you, and it all boils down to those 11 things. Well, here's the thing about that list. Let me ask you a question. Is there a single thing on that list that requires you to love the other person in order to fulfill? Is there a single thing on that list that you have to have love in order to fulfill? Can you be committed to someone that you don't love? You can. You know, and some of us are squirming. You're squirming because you don't want to, but that doesn't mean that that hasn't happened before, right? Right? How many... People are married, right? And, and they would say, I don't know if I love that person anymore. I'm committed to them. Everybody committed to a job, right? You don't love the job. You don't love your boss, but you've remained committed to it. You could be committed to someone that you don't love. Um, can, can you be a good housekeeper for someone that you don't love? Yeah, I, can you vacuum the floor for somebody that you don't love? Can you be fun to be around a person that you don't share love with? You don't even need love to be romantic. And if you don't believe me, think about a first date that you went on at some point in your life where you tried to impress the person by being romantic and you hadn't even met them yet. You don't need love for that. You can have the perfect partner. 
You could be connected to a person who has every single one of those qualities. They, they are a committed, wealthy, sexy cook that does all the dishes when they're done. And then when they're done doing the dishes, they sit on the couch and they call their best friend, which also happens to be their mother-in-law. That's who you're married to. Say Korean, that's what you said about Ted. That's, that's just describing Ted. Um, <laughs> but wouldn't you agree, if that's who you're with, and you know that they don't love you, you know deep down in your heart that they don't love you, wouldn't you agree that none of those things matter? That you could have everything on that list, and if you don't have love, what's the point? The Apostle Paul says the same is true when it comes to our gifts. And the third thing that he teaches us is this. Spiritual gifts come from God. You can't choose your gifts, but you can choose to love. And the third thing is that gifts are temporary. Love is eternal. Gifts are temporary, and love is eternal. And take a look at this. First, he describes love, because I don't think you can define love. Not simply, but it's almost like Paul is saying, I thought this this morning as I was reading this and praying for, I thought it's almost like Paul is saying, if you want to know what love is, you'll know it when you see it. And so he describes it. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Say these last words with me. Love never fails. And if you have your own Bible, maybe even make a line after that sentence because we're going to switch gears now. That's what love looks like. But where there are prophecies, that's a spiritual gift, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And this is hard to hear sometimes for some of us. Especially if we've invested ourselves in what we are able to do. Paul is suggesting that there is going to be a future day when the spiritual gifts that we have been given will no longer be needed and that all that will be left is love. All that will be left is love. The gift of healing, for example, will not be necessary in heaven. And I was just literally just talking with one of you who, who has this gift of healing, who has prayed for my family and was just praying for her family and has seen healing in the supernatural spiritual sense. She has that gift. And then at the first service, I was talking to a family whose son is in medical school and he has the gift of healing that he's using to become a doctor and to help people get well. Well, let me tell you, if that's your gift that God has given you, you're not going to need that gift in heaven. Do you know why? There's no need for oncologists in heaven there's no need for 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 radiation and chemotherapy there's going to be no need for virus specialists to help us understand how to, to to protect ourselves from these things none of that stuff is going to matter in heaven because it's all going to be gone the gift of prophecy isn't going to matter in heaven because we are going to be in the eternal gates with god and know that he is with us and that all of the bad things have been removed from as far as the east is 
from the West. And so what Paul is saying to the church, and what he's saying to you and to me this morning is, is when you stay focused on the abilities and the gifts and you do it at the expense of love, what you end up doing is missing out on the thing of heaven. Because love is the only thing we're going to do for all of eternity. It's love. That's why he says next in verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the childish ways behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And right there, friends, is what love is. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You may not be able to define love, but love is to be fully known, isn't it? And you can't be fully known by someone's qualities or abilities or spiritual gifts. You can only be fully known by their love. Which is why the verse ends here with 13. He says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I was having a, a conversation this maybe a month, month and a half ago. I was with a, another Christian outside the area, a very committed Christian, we were talking, and, um, and she was lamenting to me. And she's devoted her life to her faith and to the church, and she was just lamenting to me over how she feels like the church has lost its voice in the world that we're living in today. She said, we're, we're losing as, as Christians, like we've lost our position, we've lost our influence. And she, she, then she continued, she said, but I just don't get it because we believe the right things. We believe the right things, and, and, and we've given so much to the world. Like, if you look back, right, the last 2,000 years, how much art has come from the faith, how much education influence. There wouldn't be a hospital because Christians created the hospital. That is a Christian concept. We designed that. She said, think about the humanitarian efforts, the Red Cross. Where do you think that comes from, right? It's faith-based people that show up when there's a need. Christians do so much. And she said, so why does it feel like we're losing so much ground? And I had to think about it for a minute, and I thought about it, and I said, well, maybe... Maybe because the problem isn't what we believe and it's not even about the gifts that we're giving the world, but maybe, maybe it's a love problem. Maybe the issue is love. Because after all, didn't Jesus say in John 13, 35, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you build a hospital for them. Is that what it says? Right? They'll know you're my disciples if you make funny jokes in your sermon and people laugh. That's what it said, right? That's what Jesus said. So I've got to be really careful about that. No, it says, everyone will know you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. And so as long as the world outside the walls of the church desperately needs love, they won't care less what our gifts are. They won't care less what we believe. They need love. And then that got me thinking, it's so easy to attack institutions, right? Right? And you can't do that with the church because God said that the church isn't an institution or a building. It's the people. You're the church. I'm the church. And so I thought, if the church has a love problem, then where do I have a love problem? 
And maybe you have to ask that question too. And, and the first thing that came to my mind was I thought about how many times I reprimand my kids. It's just one example. I yell at my kids and, and, I, and I give them the right message. They're, they're literally doing something wrong, but I, com- I, I, I tell them what to do and I do it without love. And I'm technically right. I'm pointing it out. They're fighting or they misbehaved or they've done something, but I say it without love. And if I'm really honest with myself, the real reason that I'm telling them what they're supposed to do or not supposed to do is because they're annoying me. <laughs> Or because they're making me look bad. Or because their behavior is an inconvenience to me. And then I thought about that, and I thought, in reprimanding them, I am giving them the right message, and I'm giving them the most harm, because I'm doing it without love. And I think, how many times? You ever have somebody say, i got to tell you the truth in love, and then they tell you the truth, and you can't find the love in any of the message? How many times have I harmed people that I love with the right message and without love? Do you see what I'm saying? You see this? And I see parents nodding, so I know know I'm not alone, and we're all children of broken parents, and so we can relate to this on some level. This is why the followers of Jesus in the Church of Corinth 2,000 years ago and in the Church of America, this problem is not new, okay, Lest we think that somehow we are worse Christians than anybody else, right? This is going on in the first generation. It's going on today, and it's going on in Elkhorn, and it's going on in the DeGroote household. We can have the right message. We can have the right doctrine, and we can have the right interpretation, and we can still hurt people with our message because we're not sharing it with love. It's like a father telling their children to behave. I'm right, but if they don't hear a father who loves them... And wants what's best for them and is more concerned with himself, it will do more damage than it will do any good. And I know I'm not alone. And so where's the hope? I thought we were going to talk about love. <laughs> well, the hope is actually the simplest part of this message. First Peter 4.8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I know every earthly parent can relate to the example that I just shared, but how many of us can also relate to looking back at a parent that was less than perfect and saying, you know what, I know my parents weren't perfect, but I also know that they loved me. I'm looking at Millie because I know her kids would say that. And how often do we see What our love can do. Do you know why your love can cover over the mistakes that you've made? Do you know why it doesn't excuse them? It doesn't make them okay? But it's because love is the substance of heaven. Love has infinitely more power than anything you can do or say for anyone. So much so that that love can cover over sin. The way in which the love of God is covered over yours. And so maybe the one way to apply this message today is to to close your eyes right now and ask yourself, is there someone I am in relationship with that I need to pick up the phone and call today? And and don't, don't call to apologize. Don't call to say anything. Just call and say, I love you. 
Just shoot them a text right now. Start ignoring my message. Grab out your phone. Send them a message that says, I just wanted you to know. Don't say that my pastor told me to tell you I love you. Don't do that. (laughs) Say, I just wanted to tell you. If you got that message from someone that you're in relationship with, how would that make you feel? Because you can do that for someone else, and you can do it right now. And the reason that you can is because of 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. The reason that you have the unique ability to do this for others is because um, Timothy Keller, he's a pastor I quote often, he gave a sermon on this passage. He said, before love is something you do, it has to be someone you've met. You can extend love to other people when you begin to fully realize that God loves you. That God designed you not to be perfect. That God gave you gifts and abilities and life. But he didn't give you those gifts and abilities in life that you might do something for God that somehow he needs that he's not going to get without you. God does not need anything from you. There's only one reason that he created you, and that is because he loves you. And he knew every mistake that you would make. And he knew every hurtful word that would be said to you and that you would say to someone else. He knew all of it before you were even conceived. He knew all of it before the world was even formed. And he made you anyway because his sole purpose to bring you into life And to carry you into eternal life is to love you. That's why he sent his son to die for you. Because he loves you and he cannot bear to have to say goodbye to you for all of eternity. And so he has made right all of the wrongs. And he has done so with his love. And it's why the symbol that's above our altar in every altar in every church all around the world for the last 2,000 years is, is not a symbol of the miracles that Jesus performed. We don't hang a piece of bread over our altar to remember the time that Jesus multiplied bread and fish to feed thousands. We don't remember that over our altar in our church. We don't have the the primary symbol of our faith to be the Sermon on the Mounts, a manuscript of all of the wonderful things of wisdom that Jesus has shared about how to live. Our our primary symbol as Christians is is not the healing of the blind man or any of those things. Those are all good things, but those are gifts. Our one symbol is what reminds us of the giver, of what Jesus said to the disciples and what he says to us that there is no greater form of love than one who gives their life for a friend. Jesus did that for you, and he did that for me because he loves us. And then he entrusts us to use our gifts and our abilities and our words and our life, not primarily to use gifts to make ourselves look good, but to share the love that we don't deserve but that God has given us with a world that desperately needs it. So would you join me right now as we, as we pray for that to be true? Lord Jesus, we don't need to pray for this to be true. We know that it is, but I know that there are so many moments in every day of my life that I forget. 
And so, God, we, we, we pray that you might reset our hearts as we have gathered in this place and at this time. That you might reset, recalibrate our minds. That we might be reminded that, that you are not expecting us to do anything. You have created us to love. And it's by receiving the love that we have been given from you that we can turn around and we can extend that love to a world that desperately needs it. A world that that doesn't maybe need another sermon or another hospital or another humanitarian effort as important as those things are. They are only important if they come with the message of love. And we cannot share that message if we don't first receive it for ourselves. And so I'm not naive to to know or to think that there aren't people in this room that are convicted by the moments that we've fallen short of sharing that love with others. The things that we've done wrong, the things that we've failed to do, the times that we've puffed ourselves up with our gifts and our abilities as if that's what makes us worthy of anything. And so Jesus, as we ponder your cross, we remember that you knew that we would fall short. From the very beginning, it was your your promise that you would come back and that you would make right all of the wrongs. And that process will be complete as you come back and we anxiously await that day. But you also said on the cross, it is finished. Which means that we can extend that love to the world around us right now and that we can receive that love for ourselves today that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that every soul in this place and every soul online is a soul that you have created in your likeness and image for the highest purpose of all, and that is to love. And so I pray that we all hear you telling us, I love you. I sent my son to die for you, that you would not perish, but have eternal life. Help us to hear that in the moments we need to be forgiven and help us to receive that love that we might then go and share it with a world that I believe desperately needs love. Because the truth is, the world can build hospitals. The world doesn't need us to to give money and perform in the arts and do all of the things that we often think are the most important things. But there's one thing that no one can do, and that is love. That is a part.